Okay, you guys, let's do this. It's going to be so professional. Okay. Like, so professional. Here we go. Welcome to the Lab Support Podcast with your host, Michelle Van Dusen and June Colson, a couple of clean comedians who support each other and others through comedy's wacky and whining roads. I hope you're ready. Kids set. Let's go. Since podcasts have a catchy tune, we wrote this song for Michelle and June. Clean comedians are best friends, too. Oh, so good. <laughs> and you never know what they'll say or do. Here we go, sing with y'all. support, or or with Michelle, who's really short. We'll have a ball, 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 with June, who's really tall. They have fun, 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 interviewing comedians. On my support, or or with Michelle, who's really short. Welcome to the award-winning Laugh Support Podcast. I'm your host, June Colson, here with my best friend, Michelle, with one L. Rhonda Colson, Corey's friend, Trisha's sister. Do not call me Shelly, Michelle Van Dersen. Here we go, Michelle, here we go. (laughs) Here we go. Okay, so every time you say, uh, do not call her Shelly, you keep saying the word Shelly. So just let's drop that one. Let's just drop that. (laughs) You can't make me. You cannot make me. Okay, listen, we are, this is... I believe going to be an electrifying podcast today because we have an amazing guest. This is our second attempt to have him on because for some reason there is something going on and the electrical grid. Um, is it is it Philly or Pennsylvania or uh, we'll find out? We'll find we'll, out. We'll find out somewhere in the United States. Maybe there's maybe there's a balloon over his town. I'm not sure that might be causing some interruptions in the electrical grid. <laughs> but we've got Michelle in the background. Before we got on, we got a tornado siren going off. We've had okay. electricity get involved in this episode. So I have a feeling it's going to be pretty darn powerful. Michelle, tell us who's on the show today <laughs> while he still has power. Okay, so our guest today is a speaker, a lecturer, a humorist, an author, a columnist. He's written for Mad Magazine, Reader's Digest, several more. He, you've seen him on CBS, NBC, PBS, Showtime, Fox, talk shows galore. He's entertained troops over the world. Uh, he's been heard on the radio. He's worked clubs, resorts, hotels, casinos, theater, churches, cruises, synagogues, restaurants, corporations, colleges. He even owned a comedy club. Okay, so you'll just need to go to his website, check out all the things that this comedian has done. Let's welcome to the Laugh Support Podcast, the man who put fun back into funny, the professor of comedy, Tommy Moore. Hello. Did I do all that? No wonder I'm tired. All right, I'm going to take a nap. Okay, hey, hey. I'm back. I'm back. And yeah, hopefully the electricity works. I'm in North Carolina. And uh, last time, uh, around 11.30, the electricity was out for an hour. But we're going back. I talk fast. This way, maybe we'll get through it before the electricity goes out again. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are so glad that you're here, Tommy. And we're going to jump right in it. So the, the name of our podcast is the Laugh Support Podcast. And, and I got to tell you, I got to yeah, tell you, that's go a great idea because comedians need support. We are out there alone all by herself, on stage, no band, no music, no other actors. It's us all by ourselves. So we need as much support as we can get off stage. Uh, I've been doing this for 50 years. December 3rd, 1973 is when I started. I've been a professional comedian for 50 years. I'm an old guy. What can I say? Uh, My last birthday cake 
there were 12 candles on my piece. But (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing this so long, and hopefully I have supported other comedians. I taught stand-up comedy at Temple University for five years. Hopefully I supported some people there. I had my own newspaper column, Comedy Corner, and I gave a lot of support to up-and-coming comedians, as well as the fact that I probably interviewed every famous comedian in the 80s and the 90s. So, And I got support from them because it's a wonderful thing. If you talk to professional comedians and you're a youngster and you're new, tell them you're new. Tell them you're a comedian. If they're good people, they will give you time. They will give you advice. They will give you invaluables, okay? And in the 11 years that I co-owned a comedy club, I probably worked with every young comedian and every up-and-coming comedian and every famous comedian. So between all of them, we gave each other a lot of support. Got to tell you, when we had the comedy club, we were like the R gang. Hey, gang, let's put on a show. There were 11 of us, 11 comedians, and we helped each other, and we worked with each other, and we gave each other lines. We could, we'd say, hey, I wrote this last night, but it doesn't fit my act. Maybe it fits your act. And if ever you get a chance to work with a group of comedians and maybe even have your own comedy club or comedy night weekly, monthly, do it because you will learn so much. When we first started, uh, we had 11 comedians and no audience. Nobody, nobody cared what we would do. We would line up outside the club and look like we were customers. And and they would say, wow, there's a line for this place. Maybe it's good. And they would get in line. And the next thing you know, we had 20, 30, 40. By the time we got 50 people, we unlocked the door, let them in. They never knew it was us. (laughs) Wow. We worked together. We supported each other. And we had to sometimes because there were competing comedy clubs. We got to the point where we were successful and we were sold out most shows, except for one night. We came in and there were no reservations on the phone. None. And we couldn't understand why till we went outside and looked and somebody had cut our telephone lines. <gasps> maybe, maybe a competing club. We don't know. But we immediately went out, the 11 of us, with flyers in our hands. And we stood on all eight corners that are around the club. And we started giving out half-price flyers just to get people in the place. That's what you got to do. You got to support each other. Now, once we were really successful, okay, things started to happen. And there was a line around the block. Uh, One night. This was in Philadelphia now. This is not California. This is not New York. This is Philadelphia. One night a car pulls up and a guy guy comes out and he says, can I get four tickets? And we said, I'm sorry, we're sold out. He went back to his car, came back to us and said, my friend in the car says, if you find us four seats, he'll do a show for free. We said, who's your friend? He said, Robin Williams. We went to the car, we looked, it was Robin Williams. We found four seats. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now the comedians were supposed to do 15 minutes, uh, 30 minutes and 45. We said, everybody do 10 minutes because Robin Williams is here. 
Uh, so everybody did 10 minutes and the MC went up and said, ladies and gentlemen, once in a while, a big star comes from California and wants to come on and we put him on. Here he is, Robin Williams. And everybody said, yeah, right. <laughs> and then Robin Williams walked on stage and blew the place away for an hour and a half. Wow. And he had so much fun that he stayed and he did a second show for us. Another hour and a half. And the next day, everybody I knew was mad at me because they said, how come you didn't tell me Robin Williams was going to be there? We didn't know. <laughs> yeah. But he had so much fun. And that's that's one of, okay, like I said, I talked and interviewed every famous comedian there was. And they were all great people. Uh, Jerry Lewis. I did, the, uh, I did the MDA telethon in Philadelphia for years. And he told me something very, very important. Have fun, period. When people come to a comedy club, they don't come to hear brilliant insights. They don't come to hear observation. They come to have fun. Mm -hmm. And if you're having fun, it rubs off on them. They can see you have fun. When I had the comedy club, you know, we saw comedians who went up there and sometimes they were nervous. Sometimes they were studied. Sometimes they were uh, ashamed, you could tell it, you could read it in their face, have fun, because if you have fun, they'll have fun. And that's why it's important to record everything you do mm. and watch it, watch it mm. over and over again. Watch the things you do wrong, embed them in your memory so you'll never do them again. We had one guy who every time he got to a punchline, he looked at his shoes. Shoes don't laugh. <laughs> you look at the art. So find out what you're doing wrong and stop doing it. And then look at what you're doing right, what works, mm. and keep that in. So record yourself. Now, yourself, important word. Uh, I did the Jay Leno family-friendly comedy show. I was never on it. I wound up on the cutting room floor, but I talked to Jay. He was a great guy. And he said, important thing, be yourself. Because that's what people want to know. Be yourself. The middle two words of comedy spell me, M-E. Put me on oh. stage. Put yourself on stage. Uh, now, how do you find out who yourself is? When I taught at Temple University, and hopefully I supported some people uh, teaching those courses for five years, I always said, before you walk on a stage, find out who you are, what you want to say, and how you want to say it. Now, as easy as that sounds, mm. who you are, make a list of things that make you, you, mm. your background, your upbringing, your parents, your dating, your college, whatever. Uh, then figure out what you want to talk about. What are the topics that you care about? Because when you care about something, it shows. Okay. And third, so you, who you are, what you want to say, how you want to say it. Decide how those topics make you feel. What's your emotion when you talk to those talk about those topics? Are you happy? Are you angry? Are you frustrated? Are you confused? Show that emotion. Use some acting technique to show that emotion, and it will come across. Now, uh, in being yourself, Joey Bishop, who's from Philadelphia, I'm from South Philadelphia, very rough neighborhood. It's the kind of neighborhood where you hear two guys in a corner talking, and one says, Ain't it a shame what happened, Al? The other guy said, shut up. It ain't till tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but Joey and I come from the same neighborhood. 
Okay. And he always said, be yourself no matter what. Uh, there was a singer named Robin Wilson who he had on his TV show. And she used to like to sing barefoot. And she said, this is my first TV show. I don't know. Should I be barefoot? Maybe it doesn't look good. He said, Robin, be who you are. Uh, he had an old Italian man who once said, you do what you be, which is very similar to Shakespeare saying, to thine own self be true. He said, you do what you want to do because if you do what you want to do, you only run one risk. And that's they won't like you. Mm. If you do something that you think they will like, you run two risks. One, they still won't like you. And you'll always worry, oh, maybe if I did what I wanted to do, they would have liked me. Or two, they will like you. And now you'll be forced to do something that isn't you for the rest of your career. Wow. Mm. Now, some of these tips that you're giving, I just want to ask, are are these in your books? Yeah. Yeah. I wrote three books and the tips are all in different parts of the books uh, from all kinds of all kinds of Milton Berle, for instance. OK, I'll tell you a story. Milton Berle said, commandeer the place. I'll tell you a story about Milton Berle that he told me. He was booked at the Waldorf Astoria to do a banquet. Now, this is when he was like the biggest star on TV. He could have waltzed in a half hour before the show. No. He showed up three o'clock in the afternoon. And he asked uh, the clerk, you know, what room is the banquet in? He said, room B. He goes in room B. Everything was wrong. The seating was wrong. The tables were wrong. The lights were wrong. Everything was wrong. Now, you know, as a comedian, you've got to have people right up front mm -hmm. so that you can interact with them, so that you can connect with them. Yeah. Here's Milton Berle, one of the biggest stars of his time. He's dragging tables, moving tables toward the stage, moving chairs, moving tables till he had it perfect. He then went to his hotel room, came back around seven o'clock at night, went to that room and found out he had been directed to the wrong room. He had reorganized somebody's wedding. <laughs> and to make amends, he went in and he did a half hour at their wedding. To this day, they're still saying Milton Berle played at our wedding. Nice. <laughs> but I learned, I learned to do that, commandeer the situation, make sure everything is right. Because if the sound isn't right, if the lights aren't right, if there are visual obstructions and they can't see you, you know what? The next day, they don't say the sound wasn't good. They don't say the lights weren't right. They don't say they were visual. I'm sorry. You know what they say? The comedian wasn't that funny. Mm. Mm. So make sure everything is working for your benefit. Okay. Joan Rivers, wonderful lady. I did the Jane Whitney TV show with her. And I talked with her extensively at the break. And I said at the time, because I was a young comic. That's what they used to do. They used to put a main headliner as the guest and they'd get three or four young comics to ask the headliner questions on, on the talk show. Uh, Joan Rivers, I went to her, I said, they're making me nuts. The agents are making me nuts. One agent said, you should do this type of material. The other one says, you should do that type of material. What, what, what? She said, forget about what anybody says. 
the audience will tell you what to do. You walk on doing what you want to do, what works you keep, what doesn't work you throw away. Mm. You know, it, it, it's really, and, and that's very important. You have to learn to throw things away if they don't work. And you have to know what works and what doesn't. And when you put together an act, uh, Steve Allen said, try to do new stuff every night. But here's, here's, here's an important fact. Put the stuff you know works in the beginning mm -hmm. and in the end. That's your insurance. In the middle, you try your new stuff. But you got your insurance on either end. So when you say... Um keep doing the stuff that works, throw out the stuff that doesn't. How many times do you do a joke in different audiences to like, you know, you realize, oh yeah, that's not good. Like after the first time, after the fifth time. Like, yeah, I would say five. Five? I, would say five. I will tell you one story though that, that I don't advise anybody to do. There was one line that I was in love with when I first started. And I had like, you know, 15 minutes. I love this line. It was an intelligent line. But I loved it. And it never got a laugh. But I loved that line. And I was going to keep that line in no matter what. Everything else worked. That line never got a laugh. Okay? One night I walked on stage. Nothing works. Nothing is working. I'm a young comic. I only got 15 minutes. And nothing is working. They're not laughing at anything. And in my head, I'm saying, should I do this line? Should I do this line? It never works. Nothing else is working. I'm going to do the line. I did the line. It got a big laugh and nothing else worked. It was the only line of the night that got a laugh. I retired it that night. I said, there you go. You got your laugh. And I never did that line again. But no, if, if a line doesn't get a laugh three or four or five times, I would say don't do it. Mm. Now tell me, I uh, I actually started reading just um, the other day. I started reading your PhD in happiness, and so when Michelle asked, "Is some of this information in there?" I think I'm like forty pages, fifty pages in, and I was already writing uh, notes. And what you shared with us earlier about finding the things that you know that what you want to say and how you want to say it, you know, those type of things were in there. Um, but one thing that I noticed that you wrote was uh, about your school teacher and you saying uh, you got in trouble for laughing and said, he made me laugh. And one of the lines says, who would not want to laugh? And you know, a lot of times comedians, as far as laugh support goes, they don't laugh at other comedians, but I get the impression that you do, that you've always enjoyed being able to laugh with other people. Yeah. Comedians don't laugh because they're analyzing. They're looking. You know how a comedian laughs? Comedian says, oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's how a comedian laughs. You know, yeah. is that how you laugh or do you laugh? Laugh? Um, you know who I laugh at? I laugh at my next door neighbor. I laugh <laughs> at yeah. my friend who's a construction worker. I laugh at my dog. I laugh at my wife. When it's a real comedian, I'm focusing. I'm mm. studying. I got to tell you, no. I, I, the other time comedians do laugh is when you're bombing. They yes. will stand in the back and they will laugh. Oh, and it's painful, you know. Yeah. But you have to bomb. You have to learn how to bomb. You have to learn. You have to. Alan King said, no matter what, be in control. Think about this. 
if you were on a bus and the bus driver kept turning around saying, should I turn here? I don't know. Should I do? You wouldn't get off the bus because he doesn't know what he's doing. You have to be in control. You have to know what you're doing. Now, how do you know what you're doing? Uh, it's the only old joke that works. You know, a guy's walking around the street and he says uh, to a policeman, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? And the policeman says, practice, practice. And that's what you got to do. That's how you be, get in control. You have to know your act backward, forward, inside out. If they wake you up in the middle of the night, you have to be able to do your act. And when you are that strong and you are that confident in your act, it shows you're in control and the audience will go with you. They will let you do whatever you want. Shecky Green, great old comic. I spent a week with him one time. I was, I was a kid. I was 18 years old. And I sent a letter back and I said, I'm a young comic. I'm just starting out. Uh, I can only afford to come and see you one night. You're here all week. But I just wanted to tell you how much I like it. He sent somebody out to find me. And he said, kid, come here. I went in there. He said, you come in here every night. You come in through the back. You watch me every night. That's how nice a guy he was. He talked to me every night. And he said, the only thing that matters is that show. The audience doesn't know that last night you bombed. Mm. The audience doesn't care that last night you got a standing ovation. The only thing that matters is that show. So once a show's over, you got to say to yourself, next. And the next show has got to be good. And you got to give it 110%. And that's what you got to do every night. You can't fluff off with some. There were two, you know, in 50 years, uh, there were two shows that I'm embarrassed to say because I was in a bad mood. I fluffed off. And both of those shows didn't go real well. I got by, but I wasn't proud of it. You've really got to focus. You got to get yourself in the zone and you got to go out and do the best you can do in that show. Mm. That's so good. <laughs> go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you, Michelle. I thought you were about to ask. Oh, something. Go ahead. No, no, June, go ahead. Well, I, I was thinking too, you know, uh, as far as laugh support goes, um, you've had an interesting journey where you've, you've had people come support you. I don't want to give too much about your book, but at the very beginning of your book, here's what I love, Tommy. I love that you share with your reader that you write how you speak, which is why I really, I dove right into, I was like really excited to, to read it. But um, you describe friends being there for you at a difficult time and making you laugh. You uh, describe, you know, Jerry Lewis and the telethon. And you also talk about being able to, to go and bring laughter to the troops. And so it feels like laugh support. You have had it and you've been able to be supportive to other people by bringing the gift of laughter to a room. So t tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Uh, I think Henny Youngman, great old comedian, uh, used to have this business card on which there was a picture of uh, joy, dishwashing liquid and pride uh, furniture polish. Mm -hmm. And he would say, you want to see a picture of my pride and joy? And he would show you that. Okay. But that's a very important lesson. When you walk on stage, have pride in what you do, take joy in what you do. The audience will sense it. The audience will know it. Pride and joy is very, very important. Um, when I did, you know, I, I traveled all over the world at the USO. 
when I saw these service people who were in remote service locations, bored out of their mind, uh, sometimes they would follow us on the bus to come see the show again tomorrow night. Mm. And I just realized how important it is to give laughter to people. Uh, you know, you may see people and they may look like everything's okay, but everybody's got problems. Everybody might be little problems, might be big problems, but if you can take their problems away for an hour, you have done God's work. And I will say this and I'll try not to break up. But when you say who supported you, aside from my parents who were very supportive, my mother made my first tuxedo. My father talked a nightclub owner into giving me my first job. My wife has been so supportive for 44 years in the life of a crazy comedian. But God has been most supportive. Yes. Because without him, nothing would happen. Uh, mm -hmm. At one point, I mean, I could tell you crazy stories, uh, funny stories, sad stories. I, okay, a funny story because I want to get the tears out. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, funny. One time I thought I was a big deal. I was a hot shot. I had done 354 appearances at Caesars Hotels and Resorts mm. on the East Coast. I was a big shot. Oh, I was a big deal. Oh, I was a big deal. And I'm in the shower in my hotel room taking the shower. I get out of the shower and the door is locked. The doorknob had been reversed and the lock oh. was on the other side and I couldn't get out. And I'm like, oh, Mr. Big Shot, you're going to miss your show because you can't get out of the room. You can't get out of the bathroom. I'm pulling. I'm pushing. I'm using any implement there is to try to pick the lock. Nothing is working. I'm yelling. Hello. Help. Hello. Nobody can hear me in the hallway because everybody's downstairs for dinner. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, I'm dead. It's over. A half hour. I can't get this door open. And I finally do what you do when you can't do anything else. I prayed. Mm. I said, God, help me out. I turned the knob. The door opened. Wow. Mm. You know, uh, another story, a place that I was working the first time. There's a, there's a thing called comic ears. Young comedians hear the laughs and think they're bigger than they are. Mm. Veteran comedians hear the laughs and know they should be bigger. Okay. Mm. Uh, I had been working a lot and I knew what worked and I knew that the sound, the volume of laugh I should be getting. I went to this place and instead of getting eights and nines from one to 10, I was getting twos and threes. And I'm like, what is wrong? This stuff always works. With it. But, you know, I dug in, I barreled through. And now I just, I walked out of the place, went back to my hotel room. And I'm like, oh, I hope nobody ever hears about this because my career is over if it is. Mm. And I prayed myself to sleep. And the next day, I didn't want to go downstairs to breakfast because I didn't want to look at these people. Yes. But I was hungry. And it was a free breakfast. So I went down and I got breakfast and I sat down. 
and people are coming over to my table and they're saying, you were terrific. That was great. Let's, oh, it was wonderful. The maitre d' said, everybody's talking about you, how good you were. And I'm saying, is he putting me on? What? what? Yes. They booked me back the first Saturday of every month for the next five years. Wow. Now that was prayer working. Mm -hmm. That was prayer working because I did not hear those laughs. Luckily, every every time for the next 59 times, I heard the laughs. But that was prayer working. Uh, you know, uh, it was a time very early in my career uh, when everybody in the club was doing dirty material. Mm. And I was doing clean material. PG, but clean. And I was like, what should I do? Should I keep doing this clean stuff? Should I do dirty stuff? What should I do? I'm walking by a church. Wasn't even my denomination, but it doesn't matter because there's only one God. And he's the God of all people. And I walked in and I said a prayer. And as I walked out saying, God, tell me what I should do. There was a little side room in the lobby of the church and there was a book fair and there were about 20 big bookcases with, with, I don't know, maybe a thousand books in them. And I said, let me go in and look. And I looked at every book and yeah, cause I, I collect joke books. Uh, I've got about uh, 800 joke books. Hmm. Said, let me see if they got a joke book. And I went through every bookcase, every shelf, Nothing. I got to the last bookshelf, the last shelf on the very bottom in the corner. There was a clean joke book. Mm. That was wow. God. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty fantastic that he shows up in, in that kind of way in so many different places. Now, again, I don't want to give away too much about the book that I've been reading of Tommy's, but he does reveal the meaning of life, Michelle, the whole meaning of life. So, you know, he's he's had a journey. But, you know, there's a lot of times that um, I think comedians, they... Um, they have a lonely road. They do feel confused about what direction that they should go. Michelle and I talk about sometimes you got to figure out if this is just a good idea you had or if this is God's idea. Mm -hmm. And when when God's rolling with you, he you can heal from those tough shows. You can come back and go back after it again. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But you are driven a little bit differently when he shows up in that way and says, I see you. I got you. Here's here's the joke book. Right. Here's the clean joke book. And and he does it. He's not a he's not a god of confusion. Right. He made it very clear to you in that moment what he wanted from you. And I think it's worked out pretty well for you, Tommy. Uh, yep. 50 years. And I got to say um, a couple of more bits of advice, because you say you have rough times. Uh, you got to use the word next. When things go bad, you just got to say next, next. What's next? Mm. Tell your story. Red buttons. Great comedian. I've known him since I was five years old. Matter of fact, I think I may have sent you a picture of me with him and he's holding me in his arms. I'm not sure. But uh, Red Buttons told me this story. Sometimes you can have the wrong audience. He was a new young comedian. He was like 20 years old. And the word was, if you're having an affair, get Red Buttons and a gallon of potato salad. <laughs> 
So they what? booked him at every luncheon, every brunch, and every. They booked him at a luncheon, all men. And at the time, he was doing a very short act, three Jewish jokes, and a Jewish uh, parody. And he would do them in a Jewish dialect. And he told his first Jewish joke, nothing. And he told the second Jewish joke, rumbling. And he said, let me just do the song. And he's like, pants are dragging, slowly bagging, hanging on the floor. Beer bottles are being thrown at him. He ducks under the piano, crawls off stage, calls the audience, calls the agent. And said, I don't know what wrong. I did my best material. They hated me. And the agent said, Red, wasn't your fault. I booked you at the wrong place. I booked you at a Nazi Bund luncheon. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Away. <laughs> so sometimes you just got to say, next. Yeah. It also helps to know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the only picture I have is this one. And um, that is not. That is Jerry Lewis. No. Yeah. That's that's not who you're talking about right now. No. no. Um, I thought I sent you a black. Yeah. Maybe I didn't. I thought I sent you a black and white picture of me with uh, Red. But I've, I've known him since I was a kid, since I was a little kid. And well, this is a podcast, so our audience, if they're not watching us on YouTube, they didn't see that picture, Michelle. So that picture was a picture of Jerry Lewis, and um, and it was signed, yes, from Jerry. Uh, Amelia, yeah. thanks for helping Jerry. The MDA telethon, man, I, I remember as a kid just like watching for that every single year and and the people in the the seats with the telephones and the celebrities that were there and all of that so tell us again how did how did you get connected with jerry and the telethon very simple um i went into the philadelphia audition i auditioned and they said yeah fine they're on and i did that and i did the celebrity telephone panel for years and years mm. and it was just it was just a wonderful thing and you know okay that's something that is a double-edged sword. When we first started comedy, every kind of charity in the world wanted comedians. Mm -hmm. uh, and we raised a lot of money for a lot of charities. And then X-rated comedy happened. And nobody wanted us anymore. And we said, but we're clean, we're clean. No, no. They don't, no, we don't trust you. We, we we saw something on cable TV last night, and we don't we don't want that. No, we, and I would say, look, hire us. If we're dirty, boo us off stage. No, no sorry, I don't. No, we don't. No, no. So for a few years there, we couldn't even do charities. You know, I mean, we could be in nightclubs, we could be in comedy clubs, but the charities weren't calling. Now, because of the CCA, the Christian Comedian Association, charities are coming back. And they know that there is clean comedy out there. And so I applaud you comics and I'm in the CCA, but I applaud you for what you're doing. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I think that the, just all the way around when you have a set of comedians and that's people's only impression of what comedy is and how it works, then, yeah, you know, we go in, we do a show, we leave and we don't deal with the after effects of what that person who booked you has to go through. And one mm -hmm. bad show at a church can turn off an entire church community on ever having 
a comedian or like you said, fundraisers and things of that nature. So it's definitely, um, it, it, it can be tough to get your foot in the door, but what a, what a benefit and um, what a great way to raise money for associations and to spend time with people because we do know that laughter is good medicine. And, and you even talk about, you give advice in your book about even you don't have to be a funny person. If you just want to share the joy of laughter with people, uh, Michelle Tommy just says, you know, get a joke book, memorize a few jokes and, and just share a little bit of mm-hmm. laughter with people. And man, you have been doing that with excellence for a long time, Tommy. It is absolutely our honor. And look at this. Look, speaking of God, he has kept the power on. He has mm-hmm. kept Michelle from tornadoes today. We are just, <laughs> we're rocking out today with you, Tommy. <laughs> it was a pleasure being here. This is such a great idea. Comedians support each other, help each other, uh, pat each other on the back, give each other ideas when you can. And if you can, because you say, like you say, it could be a lonely business. Uh, If you can find a comedian or a few comedians who you like as people and who you like as an act, try to book yourself with them or have them be your opening act. Ride to a gig with them. Ride back with them. You have somebody to talk to. You have somebody to vent with. Uh, That's great support. I always say to I've had... I never drove a day in my life because I'm a city kid. Now I'm in North Carolina and uh, there are no buses and there are no trains and there are no taxis. And I'm going crazy. But, you know, there, you, you, can, yeah, you can get drivers. You just call them. But I had drivers all my life and they were always comedians. And I would say on the way to a show, don't expect me to talk because I'm saving my voice. But on the way back from a show, we'll talk forever. You know, and... You can learn so much from each other. Uh, mm-hmm. When I had the comedy club, we used to have what we called open stage night. Now they call it open mic night. And we'd have like 25 comics on. And uh, a lot of comedians would not watch the other comedians. They would hang back at the bar and you know, talk and goof around. It. And I would say, no, you don't learn that way. Yeah. Watch every comedian even bad comedians, even new comedians, because you learn from their mistakes and then you won't ever do that. Yeah. Watch every comedian. When I first started out, I went to the improv in New York, not to be on, uh, but to learn, to watch. Mm -hmm. And I went there for open stage night and uh, there were 25 comedians on, but like I said, with us, with Robin Williams, they said sometimes a big star comes in. And one of the biggest stars at the time was Professor Erwin Corey. He was crazy. He was nuts. He walked on stage, and I'm not exaggerating, he did two hours and 20 minutes. Wow. He wrung the audience dry. There was not a laugh to be gotten. Sitting in the audience with me, probably waiting to go on to my left was Richard Pryor in a white suit. And to my right was Steve Martin in a white suit. This would have been maybe 1972, I'm guessing. And when Professor Corey walked off stage, I looked and they were both gone. They knew that there was no way they could Mm. follow that. However, 
there were 25 young comedians who were hungry for stage time. So 25 comedians lined up and got on. And you could see the audience saying, oh, you're funny, kid, but I don't have a laugh left in me. Now, <laughs> yes. I had gotten a steak and uh, I was eating my steak. And at one point, I just got up to go to the men's room, come back while the comedians were taking a break. And when I came back, the steak was gone. I guess the waiter, waitress figured I was done. I come back and the waitress says, oh, please help me out. What? The chef is mad at me. Why? Because I took your steak back. He thought maybe there was something wrong with it. So I went into the kitchen and they made up a story. I said, look, no, I told her to take it back. I'm just not that hungry. Okay. And uh, I come back and she said, oh, thank you. You got me out of trouble. She said, for your effort here, here here's a free dinner roll and some butter. Okay. So <laughs> I got a dinner roll and a butter. And one of the comedians waiting to go on is looking at that dinner roll like, can I have that? <laughs> and I realized he was hungry for more than just stage time. Yes. So I said, yeah. And I gave him the butter. And, and, and that's what you got to do, help other comedians. Now, mm -hmm. as the comedians were going on, crowd was dwindling because they just couldn't laugh anymore. What's the use? Turned out I was the only audience member left. And I started to get out of my chair and a comedian came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, please, I'm the last comedian of the night. If you don't stay and there's nobody here, they won't let me go on. I said, okay. He went on. I forced some laughs and he said, thank you at the end. You know, that's what you got to do. You got to support other comedians. Don't just go in, do your show and leave. Yeah. Go in, do your show and help one another. Because mm. it comes back to you. It comes back to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tommy, we are just uh, thrilled that you came to be with us today. It's a great story to end on. It's just being there, supporting each other. Also to have Steve Martin and Richard Pryor make an appearance mm -hmm. in the final story. It's not That's too right. shabby either. So. <laughs> and, and bread and butter. Bread and, and butter. butter. Yeah, yeah. Michelle's still on the bread and the bread and the butter. Now Michelle's going to scroll to the bottom of the screen. Um, we want you guys to definitely check out uh, Tommy. As I said, I've already started reading one of his books, and I love it, and I can't wait to get back to it. But his website is um, pro. Oh, sorry, p r o f comedy dot com, like the professor of comedy. P r o f comedy. Yes, dot com. So you can check him out, find out all kinds of great information about him there. Also, look up his books, PhD in Happiness from the Great Comedians, Joke Telling 101, How I Never Let School Interfere with My Comedy Education, and Comedians Telling Tales out of school. I'm telling you, I'm going to read all of them. I've just started with, with the first one, the PhD, and I know that you guys are going to love it too. Listen, so this podcast, um, not only if you're just listening to us, you can actually watch us. And I want to mention, you you got to watch for sure, just to see the amazing wall of comedians that is behind Tommy. I love the green. I love the green behind you and the amazing people that are back there on the wall. You got to You got to check it out. Zoom in and look at all those amazing faces back there. Um, you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And then if you want to watch us, you can see us on the Creative Motion Network on Roku TV. We are on Vimeo. And also don't forget our YouTube channel. And friends, go to 
Go to our social media sites, our Facebook page and our Instagram and like the Laugh Support Podcast. Follow us, like us, and hey, it's Laugh Support. Be supportive. Tommy, tell us something. Let me leave you with one thing. If you take a look up in the upper uh, left-hand corner there, that's a picture of Rosie O'Donnell, okay? And one thing she said to me, because when we started out together, um, she said, you, you just can't take offense. No matter what anybody says, don't take offense. Just keep going, keep going straight. She told me this story uh, when she became famous. Somebody came up to her and said, I don't mean to offend you, but are you Rosie O'Donnell? And she said, well, you didn't offend me until you said that. Yeah. <laughs> People don't realize what they're saying. I'll leave you with this story. I did my 354th appearance at Caesars in uh, the Poconos. And after the show, little woman came up to me, uh, must have been 80 years old, curly white hair, looks up and says, young man, can I tell you something? I said, what? She said, I watch all these comedians on cable TV and they sing and they play instruments and they do impressions and they don't make me laugh. But tonight, you made me laugh with no talent whatsoever. <laughs> well, wow, that makes me believe I really can do it. If you can do it without talent, Tommy, that's the most inspiring close there's had. Well, for me. <laughs> yes, with no talent at all. Well, we do believe for having that you me are. On. Yeah, we believe you are extremely talented and we so appreciate you being on here. Thank you. And with that being said, we're going to close this episode out. As I always say, Jesus and Junebug loves you. And apparently season three, Michelle tortures us with a cheesy joke to close out each episode. So what do you got today, Van Dusen? What kind of nut has no shell? What uh, kind of nut, Michelle? A donut. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.